running a Christian race is a lot like running a marathon. It takes perseverance, focus, and discipline to cross the finish line. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12.1 to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Just like a marathon, the Christian race can be long and difficult. There will be times when we feel tired and want to give up. But we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. He is our strength and our champion. Running this Christian race means staying committed to God's plan for our lives. It means trusting in Him even when we don't understand what's happening around us. We must remain faithful to the end, no matter the circumstances. We must also keep ourselves spiritually fit by reading the Bible, praying, and being a part of a community of believers. Just like a marathon runner trains their body, we must train our hearts and minds to stay focused on God. And just like a marathon, a Christian race has a finish line. And let us always remember that we are not running alone, for God is with us every step of the way. All right, so how many in the room today have ever run a marathon? I mean, you, you ran it, you trained for it. One, two, three. Nobody in the balcony. Really, balcony folks? That's, no, Jordan's like, no, no way, no way. So three people. You know, I, here's the thing, though. We're all running a marathon. As a Christ follower, we are all running the race, the Christian life race. And, uh, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, but I just, I just really get the sense this morning that there's a, there's a number of people in the room, um, people that you know who, man, they're just, they're, they're, they're tired of running the race. I mean, they're, they're just exhausted. And uh, they, they don't know what to do next. They want to give up. They want to quit. Uh, because honestly, when I, when I run, and I can't really do that much anymore because of my left knee. But when, when, when I am exercising, there is a point in that exercise where I'm just like, is this really worth it? Do, am I really gaining from this? Um, you know, and, and the pressures of, and the pain and the, you know, your lungs are screaming and you're just like, it would just be so easy to just, you know, step off the machine, just go on with the rest of my day. You know, go get a soda out of the fridge and a bag of potato chips and go sit on the couch and watch TV. Um, that is the enemy speaking. Uh, in, in your Christian life, when you are feeling like you just want to quit and give up, that's the enemy trying to discourage you and to get you to step away from the most important thing that you could ever have in your life, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and there, there may be people here, this is your first Sunday here, and you weren't really... You didn't really know what to expect, and maybe, maybe you're hurting, and maybe you have brokenness in your life, and, and I just want to, before I begin the message this morning, I just want to pray. Um, I'm doing a, a, a service for a six-month-old on Thursday, and, and I want to pray for that family and, and the heartbreak that they're feeling right now, and you know, we've got others like Lynn and, and Lois Van Mark and others, Gary and others who, Linda Sue, who have this chronic pain thing and it just never goes away. And you just, you just wonder how, many, how much more of life can I, can I experience this? And, and it's easy to be somebody who things are going well to say, hey, look, you, 
you know, God's in control of this. And, and we just spent weeks going through the book of Job, and I hope that helped us gain a little bit of perspective that in, when somebody else is experiencing incredible, deep, hard pain, that, that one of the best things that we can do is pray for them, is to be there for them, is, is to be present with them and to encourage them, not to, I mean, we can't fix some things, most things, but we can be there and, and I just want to do that in prayer this morning. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just, I pray for this couple um, who, who lost little Athea, and, and I just pray for the healing of their hearts. God, I pray that this would be something that, that they would allow you to use to draw them close to you. God, help us to recognize that, that when the, the enemy is, is screaming into our ears, quit, give up, walk away, whatever it might be, God's not real, you... Um, um, he doesn't care for you. Father, help us to turn to your word and see the truth and to know that those are just a bunch of lies. God, I pray that, that your spirit would, would, as we have sung in songs today, would fill this place, would, would fill us, would, would give us strength, would, give us, would illuminate your word unto us. Would, uh, God, we ask, help us to ask. Help us to praise you, help us to ask. Help us to repent. Help us to yield to those answers, whatever they might be. God, pray, just give you all the honor and the glory for that kidney that, that Bryson has received, that, that he has right now. And God, as Brandon prayed, I pray, I pray too for this family who lost a, a 20-year-old child, son, brother, friend. But God, we, we also must trust you and, and your plan for the world, even in the midst of that. Whatever is happening in our life, help us to, 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 to just grip even harder and firmer to you. We may anchor our life to you because, as the disciples said, where else, who else could we ever turn to but you? Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, when I was a young basketball player in junior high, I had a coach who, who, um, who wanted to teach us a couple things. And, and as I remembered back, as I, as I had the title for today's message, Practice Makes Permanent, um, I remembered back to a couple of the things that he would, he would always tell us. And, and one of the things I remember specifically, he says, um, he would always tell us that, that, you know, the plan, the plays that we have, what I want it to look like out on the court is controlled chaos. Now, chaos normally came with middle school boys, so I don't know if he was being real about that, that it was just chaotic anyway, and he made us want to think that we were in control. But he wanted it to look like controlled chaos, and as we look at our world today, I think that's what we have. Yes, it's chaotic. Yes, um, we need to stand up for things. We need to, we need to follow our God and how he is leading us to stand against the things that are chaotic and wrong in our world. But we must never think that, that it is out of his control because it's not. It is totally in his control. The second thing that this basketball coach um, told us that, that I remember to this day um, was, uh, let's see, man, I am just, uh, okay, here we go. The second lesson that I learned from this basketball coach was this, practice makes permanent. Practice makes permanent, because I would often say, well, practice makes perfect, right? You've heard that, right? Practice makes perfect. 
perfect. No, he would say perfect practice makes perfect. Okay, practice, what the practice actually does is it makes it permanent. Um, I heard our, our praise team leader this morning as he's, they're practicing one of these songs and he's like, I, this is wrong. It, it doesn't feel right. It's not right. And then he said these words, I've been singing it that way all week long and it wasn't quite right. He was practicing imperfectly, incorrectly. And we, we all do that, right? We have our own version of songs. You know, we did that in youth group all the time. We'd do a song however we wanted to. It didn't matter. We, you know, and you go to another church or another group and you're like, wait, they, they're doing that song wrong. <laughs> no, maybe you're doing that song wrong. They might be doing it right. See, we need to um, practice perfectly. You know, I, I'm, I'm using that with an asterisk, right? Because none of us are perfect. I, I know that. Um, but the act of practicing which is certainly something that we must do, does not make a shot perfect. It makes it permanent. And this applies to our relationship with God. It applies to the Christian race that we're running, not in competition with each other, but together like a basketball team. So if you can think of a basketball team um, and you can think of all of those hours that maybe you spent by yourself on the driveway with a basketball hoop shooting um, shooting free throws, shooting a jump shot, whatever you're trying to perfect in your life, that practice, hopefully perfect practice, makes us a better player and in the long run, a better team when we learn to apply that, that, uh, that perfection, if you will, that, that we have learned as a, a player in the midst of a team. And practicing the presence of God is something that we all do on an individual basis and that we all do here on a Sunday morning as a team and as we do together as we walk through and down the road of life. We practice this on Sunday mornings as we worship, as we respond to what and who God is and what he does with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength. We worship as we sing as we pray, as we trust, as we give, and as we serve. We practice the presence of God as we pray, right? As we praise him uh, with our, our actions, with our service, with our voices, with our attitudes, as we repent with those things that he points out in our life that just shouldn't be and, and, and aren't right, and, and he's trying to lovingly discipline us and correct us and get us back on the right path as we ask as we saw last week we have not because we ask not Jesus said ask come to me and ask and and I heard some people were like well what if I ask for the wrong things well you know what he's going to help you understand that that thing was wrong but you got to start with asking we ask we get down at his knees or at his feet we sit there and we listen and he teaches us and brings us along. And then finally, we yield to whatever he asks and whatever he tells us. That's the hard thing for all of us. Because, you know, all of us, I, I would hope all of us husbands and all of us wives, we want to we have the best marriage that we can have. We, wanna, we want it to, 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 to be happy. We want it to be a place, of, our homes to be a place of peace and a place of joy. But when God points his finger at us, at, at Tim and says, Tim, I want you to correct this in your life. You, you need to be more patient with, with Maria or, or you need to, to, to whatever. And, and he's like, 
And, and Tim's like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm patient enough. I don't need to be any better than that. That's not yielding. We don't like to hear that. We don't like to hear correction because it means I'm doing it wrong. You know, you'll have a, a, a basketball player, for instance, again, to use that illustration, he can make every shot, whatever, you know, if he's wide open and there's not a guy 10 yards within him because he shoots from over here, you know, that, that may translate when you're wide open, but it's incorrect. It's, it's not good. And, and when you come under pressure, you're not going to make every shot. You need to learn how to shoot that ball correctly so that you can shoot over the top of players, not try to launch it from the side of your shoulder. Um, and a player whose parents have been telling him he's so awesome his whole life, okay, who comes under some discipline and under some correction is like, well, I don't have to listen to you. You don't know what you're talking about. I make every shot. Well, he's not going to see much playing time. He's going to be riding the bench and mom and dad aren't going to be happy for sure. And he's not going to be happy. But what he really needs to do is to listen to the coach. And that's what we need to do as we run this race. Because as we do, as we submit to Jesus, his attitude and his action will become our action and our attitude. He will give us the desires of our heart. And that's really where we want to be. And we can run with perseverance the race marked out for us if we do that. Does that sound familiar? Um, please turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I know we went through Hebrews a few months ago. We're just going to look at a couple verses this morning. And for those of you online, I don't, we didn't put it up on the screen ahead of time. People here, you can see there's no communion elements here. We were postponing communion just a week. We're going to celebrate communion next week as we finish this series in practicing the presence of God. And then the next week, we're going to start uh, going through the book of Jonah. It will be an eight-week series. And, and if you are not in a small group and you'd really like to be in a small group, write that on your Connect card because we're going to use Right Now Media. There's a series on there to study through the book of Jonah and small groups will be uh, we'll be doing that, and there's discussion guides and that sort of thing. And, and we're also always looking for uh, facilitators for small groups. Maybe um, you're centrally located in Torrington, and you know, if we had two or three couples that said, hey, we want to be in a, a small group, and we, we need somebody to kind of lead that, not kind of, we need somebody to, to facilitate that group, you'd be willing to be that person, put that on your Connect card as well. That, we'll, we'll start that series in two weeks. Um, lots of things to learn in the book of Jonah. But Hebrews 12, verse 1 this morning. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. As we focus on this verse this morning, first I want to answer the question, what exactly is the race that the, the author of Hebrews is talking about? What is this race. What kind of race do believers, those who are Christ followers, run? Who sets the race parameters? Is it a 400? Is it an 800? No, we've already talked about that. It's, it's a 26-mile affair. It's a marathon. Um, and the preacher in Hebrews 12 draws from the rich 
imagery of the foot races of ancient Israel, Greece, and the amphitheaters of Rome, which is interesting to me. And, and sometimes we take you know, the Bible history and we sort of put it in a vacuum and we don't think there's any other history going on on the planet, but, but there is. In fact, um, the, first, uh, the first Olympics were, are traditionally dated to 776 B.C., so in 776, they are having Olympiads, and they did them every four years. In, in, uh, that became a unit of time in historical chronologically, chronolo chronologies, actually. And they continued to celebrate the Olympics and train for them and run for them. Um, even when Greece came under Roman rule in the second century B.C., and then they continued on with the Olympics until A.D. 393, and then there was this long hundreds of years pause in, in the Olympics. And that lasted until Athens in 1896, which is the first Olympics of our modern history. But when we read the fact that the writer, the author of Hebrews and Paul also talks about uh, the games and running a race, they're talking about the Olympics. And people trained hard for the Olympics. Practice and preparation and discipline in com competition was just as robust and prominent in Jesus' day as it is today. But as a reminder, perfect practice makes perfect and permanent. That's one reason we gather on a Sunday morning together, to learn how to practice, to, to learn different techniques. And, and this passage was written to encourage and challenge believers to persevere in their faith. Don't give up. Hang on to the truth that you know and that you read in God's word, especially in the midst of, of trials and struggles and tribulations. I mean, that is, when, that is when we run the risk of just throwing up our hands and saying, I'm done. I, it's, it's just too much. I can't do this. I just, I just want to give up because there is certainly no shortage of trials in the world that we live in, even with our own midst. The, the first thing the preacher says in this verse is, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So our first point this morning is that our practice techniques are learned from those who went before us. Those who went before us, the preacher gives us plenty of people who went before us in chapter 11 of Hebrews. Um, people who struggled with many things in their life. They, they struggled with sin, with health. They struggled with wealth. They struggled with relationship issues, with war, with death. These believers persevered despite unimaginable things that were, that were coming at them and cruelty on top of that. And, and we get to see, God has given us his word. We get to see who these people are, what they did, what they experienced, and how they responded to that. And it was imperfectly just as it is when we respond. And there was always forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation, and we re need to remember that as well. Person after person, we are given glimpses into their lives. Why? So that we can learn from them. It's not just to know history for history's sake, which is what I thought my you know, social studies was when I was in school. I, I'm not, when am I ever gonna use this? Um, that's not what this is. Those stories that we have, those accounts of those people and how they lived their life and what they did and what they experienced, those were real people just like you, just like me. Walking the earth, living in the earth, 
learning and growing and navigating their relationship with God. And, and from their faith and their actions and how they treated others and how they held on to Jesus when hard things happened and they didn't bail or quit, we can learn from that. We can say, if they did it, I can do it. Isn't that what we do in competition? Man, if he can do it, I can do it. What he can do, I can do better. That's usually what I think. Now, that's not always Christian. But... Um, that is how we need to view our walk. Um, from their faith and their actions, we can learn. Their, their unyielding faith bears witness to the promises of Jesus Christ, encouraging us to follow their example and to run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. This race is the Christian life. Once you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, the, the race that is mentioned in Scripture is that journey. It's, it's that life. It's, it's that it's that marriage. You know, we, um, we are the bride of Christ, and, and um, when we surrender to him, we enter that relationship and we begin that journey, just like so many of you, even in this room, stood on this stage right here and committed your life to another person, and you said, till death do, I, till death do we part. Now, did you know what all of that you were committing to right there? No, absolutely not. Not even, not even. Because there are times in that relationship where it is much, much harder than we ever imagined it would. There are times in that relationship where there are things coming at us that we have absolutely no control over. Health, um, sometimes it's a job, sometimes it's something else. And, and the enemy will use that in your life to divide you because he wants to destroy you. He wants you to be miserable. And though we kind of feel like we're gonna be miserable if we stay, if we surrender to him, he will mold and shape us and discipline us. We just need to yield to what he's telling us. And if it's David Anderson, you are a selfish guy and you need to learn how not to be, then I need to surrender to that correction. And, and I need to begin asking how. How can I be less selfish? How can I love my wife the way that you love me? And that brings a life of peace that is often beyond any understanding that we have. The Bible tells us this, and it's true. Sometimes we just have this peace that we go, where, where did that come from? It's not reasonable, it's not logical that I would even feel this way or think this way. But it, it's the Holy Spirit in me assuring me, assuring you that, that God is in control. And then I'm right here with you. And that joy is birthed out of our relationship with Jesus. Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35 says, say this, Then he, Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he or she must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. We talked about this yesterday as as teams of people at, uh, at our projects. In, in biblical language, to save means to deliver, to keep from harm, to preserve, to rescue, and even to cure. And those are pretty cool words in light of Jesus giving his life to save us, to save people. By giving his life for us, Jesus delivers us or rescues us 
from a life that would have kept us eternally separated from God. His impact on our lives aims to keep us from harm. He cures us of a condition that no one else can. He takes our old sinful way of life and he slowly but surely begins the work of remaking us in his own image. Jesus is that amazing savior. He's really good at this saving thing. But you, me, we're not so hot at it. Sometimes we think we are, but the truth is we can get into terrible trouble if we try to save ourselves. In fact, Jesus predicts the trouble, the results of us saving ourselves when he says, for whoever wants to save his life will actually lose it. And and in contrast to save, to lose something in biblical language means to cause something to perish or to destroy it, to ruin it. And those are very different words that, that I think of when I think of lose. I mean, when I think of lose something, I think of my keys or my wallet, which sometimes happens a lot. And I've tried those little geotag locator things. It doesn't work. They don't work. Just so you know. I mean, they don't work for me. Now, that was old technology. That was a long time ago. Maybe there's something new. I don't know. But in this instance of this passage where Jesus says, that if we want to save our life, we'll lose it, but whoever loses it for him will save it. Um, it, It's more something that happens to me than something I do. It's more something that happens to you than something that you do. Um, In this instance, Jesus' view of losing your life is a more active thing than that. Jesus tells us in order to save our lives, we must lose them. That is where our practice must start. Um, that, is where, that is when our training begins. You know, we see this in the military. I've never been in the military. I don't know, but my understanding of the military is when you go to basic training, their job is to tear you down to nothing and then build you into what they want you to be. Um, uh, somebody who is submitting themselves to even, even, a, even a teacher, even as we think of, you know, when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, that, that means surrender to what I'm going to teach you. My first preaching class, I, man, I had, you know what, I'd been a youth pastor for a long time and I had, a, a, it wasn't a chip, it was like a, a box of wood on my shoulder. I went into that class thinking, I already know it all. There's nothing this old man is going to teach me. And I kind of acted that way through the course of the class. But then the Holy Spirit said, David, you're stupid for thinking that. I don't know if he used the word stupid, but he said, what you really need to do is you need to surrender and submit to this man to teach you the things that he knows about his craft. I don't know when that occurred. It might have been when I went, actually went to my second class with this professor. Um, he had us come to, to his church in, in Minneapolis and hear him preach one morning. And I was just seriously blown away at how he could take a passage of scripture and, and walk you through it. So that first Monday, so that was Sunday. Monday, I went into class after class. I said, hey, Dr. Hogan, can I, can I speak to you? Um, I just want you to know that um, 
I was, I was an idiot last semester. Uh, and and I, I'm, sure he, I'm sure he noticed. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I'm sorry for that attitude that I had. And I want to let you know that I want to learn everything that I can from you. And I did. I worked hard at learning everything that he had to teach us. In fact, I took two more classes from him. And uh, <clears throat> that benefits us. If we go to, if, if we're going to sign on and pay for a trainer and, and because we want to be healthy, what should we do? We should do everything that they tell us to do because they're the expert. We have the words of the expert right here. And we need to surrender to them. We need to lose our life. We need to give up ourselves. We need to give up our attitudes and our pride and our arrogance and our sin. And we need to submit to him. That's where our practice starts. Day by day, moment by moment. Um, you know, last week on Sunday, we prayed at the end of the service for Bryson and that, that he would receive a kidney. And then Monday, I get this message in my email and uh, I'm just like, Instant, that wasn't Monday. It was Thursday. Because I was sitting in a school bus. And, and I got this message. And I mean, I just, I was like, <laughs> God said yes. God said yes. And we asked. And, and he's not always going to say yes. I know that. But he can't say yes if we don't ask. That's part of, I just right there, you know, I said even in a school bus you can worship God right there. It was like, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Hebrews 10.36 says, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. That comes from that training. Next, we need to remember that the race is a marathon, not a sprint. Okay, it's a marathon, not a sprint. We're called to stay the course, to remain faithful to the end. Paul uses this same imagery near the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. May every one of us be able to say that if we have a moment before we take our last breath to look to God. The steadfastness of the Old Testament witnesses reminds believers today of the rewards of staying in the race and never giving up. Uh, verse 14 of Philippians 3, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And we need to remember that even in Hebrews chapter 11, um, the preacher tells us that even those people who were faithful didn't receive while they were living and breathing the promise that God had made. So there are times when we don't see it, but God fulfills what he is intending to fulfill. What's important for us is the faithfulness to the very end. Because we may be a small cog in this big wheel that God is working in our world. And we just need to, to, to be that faithful cog that he needs us to be. A, a marathon is a strenuous test of fitness and endurance. This race set before us requires faith, stamina, commitment, discipline in order to live faithfully. The race set before us. We, we don't select the course. We don't select the race. We're just running it. We're, we're like that freshman track 
member that when you get to the track meet, the coach comes up and says, you're running the two mile today. You mean walking. <laughs> um, we, don't, we don't set the course. God does. Jesus lines that out. The Holy Spirit shows us what that course is. We just need to run it. We stay the course in spite of trials and persecutions. As we run, we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 reminds us. Because Jesus perfectly finished this race. He is the focus of our lives. We need to look away from all the distractions because he's already at the finish line. You know, it's like you're running the hundred. If you're running the hundred, your coach will always tell you, never look over your shoulder, just run to the finish line. Because when you run, when you look over your shoulder, it slows you down. I don't care if you don't think it does, it does. Don't be distracted. Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We need to follow the example of those who have gone before us. We, we persevere because we know it is a marathon and not a sprint. And number th three, we sur surrender is necessary in our race with Jesus. I mean, it demands that we do away with everything that hinders, and sin is one of those. Whatever else threatens our relationship with God is included in that. Anything that will slow us down or trip us up or, or we must cast that thing off. The apostle says to put off our old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That, that, that everyday conversation with Jesus in our relationship with him has to be going on. I mean, when, you, when you're ready to yell at somebody because you're angry, maybe what you should do is you should stop, take a deep breath, and say, hey, Jesus, do you want me to yell at this person? As we have that ongoing conversation, as we listen to him, as we allow him to shape us and mold us, the enemy, the enemy is doing all he can to destroy you to get you to take your last breath without having surrendered your life to Jesus. Or, if you have, to make your life until you take your last breath as miserable as he can with Jesus. And what we need to do is we just need to surrender to Jesus. And he'll take care of the rest of that stuff. To run the race. And, and it says, you know, we have this great cloud of witnesses. If you can think of people on the sideline, that's one thing I really like about track versus basketball or football. You know, because in, in, in basketball and football, what that player's action or attitude or, or whatever doesn't just affect them, it affects the whole team in the moment. The decision the coach made to run that play or that play or that play. And sometimes you hear from the crowd and it just drives me crazy. You know, coach, you should do this instead of this. Or, you know, put my kid in or, or whatever it is. You can, you can put whatever. You don't hear that at track meets. Because every kid is competing basically uh, against themselves sometimes. If they're the fastest kid, it's against themselves every track meet. But against other, 
other, and, and the only thing, the only thing that you hear from, you never, you never hear yelled out at the crowd, you know, swing your arms straighter or, or take longer strides or you're running, you know, you don't hear that. What you hear is go, go, run fast and you hear all this cheering. That's what the great cloud of witnesses also does for us, encourages us, says you can do this in Jesus Christ. You can do this. We need to remember that. We need to allow God to shape and mold our individual piles of clay into what he wants us to be, strengthens and perfects the race we are running, and we need to practice what he wants perfectly so that it will then become permanent in our life. One of the things we said in our group uh, yesterday, one of the things that, that is good to lose is a bad habit or a bad attitude. That's a part of this practice. Number four is this. Discipline is necessary in our race with Jesus. I mean, it really goes without saying, right? I mean, we, 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 we say people need to be disciplined. They need to be disciplined to make right choices. They need to be disciplined to keep their mouth shut when they should. They need to be disciplined to stay on their diet. I don't care what diet you choose. They'll all actually help you lose weight, generally speaking. The, the, thing that, the thing that is important in whatever plan you choose, it's discipline. It's to follow, it's to follow that. You know, you, in my mind, in my opinion, you cheat one time, you're done. Because the next time it'll be, that's too hard. Or I really want to eat that. Uh, I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll just eat it this one time. Yeah, and then that becomes 20 times. It, it's, it's discipline is, is important. It is, discipline is the characteristic of being able to behave and work in a controlled way which involves obeying particular rules or standards. That's like Webster's version of dif- discipline. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 27. He says this, Do you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Do your best. Run your hardest. Work hard. Everyone who competes in the games, he's talking about the Olympics, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. That's discipline. That's discipline. No matter how long your race or mine may be, we keep our eyes on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 12, 2 says. And there is joy awaiting. Now, one final thing. Worship team, you guys can come up here for our closing song because we got to do this last song. Um, Putting those two words together, uh, author and perfecter or pioneer and perfecter, it means literally completer or finisher and it speaks of bringing something to its conclusion so if we trust Jesus and we follow him he will bring us to the end he will bring us to the conclusion and for and and for most of us probably that's our last breath 
Now, I'd be great if Jesus returned tomorrow, this afternoon. But until he does, we need to endure hardship as discipline, Hebrews 12, 7 says. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Does anyone in this room like to be around a child that's not disciplined by their father? No. A loving father disciplines his children. And we need to accept it and we need to yield to it. And then finally, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. I said that was the last one. It's not because I want to finish with this one right here. Um, uh, it's Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this. That he who began a, a good work in you will carry it on to completion into the, until the day of Jesus Christ. So let's keep running the race. Let's cheer each other on. Let's be willing to submit ourselves to someone else. If there's something wrong in our relationship or whatever, the best, the best thing to keep the enemy at bay is to surrender that relationship to somebody else who can help you walk through whatever it is that you're wrestling and struggling with. Look to that great cloud of witnesses, learning from those who have gone before us, knowing that the Christian life is not a sprint, it's not gonna be over next week, probably. It's a marathon. Surrender your brokenness to Jesus, and may we constantly be at Jesus' feet, obeying him, learning his heart, following his example, disciplining our life in submission to him because practice makes permanent.